question. This morning, though, if you're a guest, you came on a, a very good Sunday morning because we are starting a brand new conversation. It's a conversation that's going to go for four weeks. So here's how you need to think about it. It is a sermon, one sermon that's going to last for four weeks, okay? We're just going to drag it out throughout all four weeks. That means several things. I think it, you'll get the most bang for your buck, right? The most value out of this if you plan to come all four weeks. I'd encourage you to do that. Second, I would say this. Raise your hand in the group. I just want you to raise your hand. If you started coming here to Grace Church, the Norton campus, within the last five years, I just want to see who I'm talking to. That's fascinating, okay? Well, here, the staff here at Grace Church, there are certain conversations that we deem important for us to keep having. And so we want to have a conversation in a little bit of a different way that we had about five years ago with the group here. So some of you that were here maybe five years ago, like, hey, I thought we had this, and we did, and we're going to have it in a different way because here's the deal some of what I want to talk to you guys about for the next four weeks for some of you there's going to be new information you ready and then for others of you I'm really not going to teach you new information which really isn't my goal it really isn't my goal in this series but my goal is to challenge you you ready to new transformation to, to some obedience, to say, what am I going to do with what I know? Because Jesus said, if all I do is listen to the word and don't do it, I might as well look in a mirror, walk away, forget what I saw. That's what he said, right? So we're just going to look at this and say, hey, let's be really tangible. Here's why this is important. Because I think the series that we're going to look at for the next four weeks has the opportunity to impact our community in incredible ways. In fact, I don't know, you ready? I'm going to just say it. I don't know if there's anything else that we do here that has the opportunity to impact our community quite like this conversation we're going to have. I don't know that there's anything else that we will ever do here that will impact, have the potential to impact our community like the conversation we're going to have for the next four weeks. You're going to see why. And so this conversation is extremely relevant. You know why? Because every last one of us has some skin in the game. It's relevant to every last one of us in this room. This conversation is one that I think will pertain to you somehow. I do believe this. It is painfully practical, and at times it's going to be stretching. I think it's going to stretch some of us in the room. So I would love for you to do several things. I'd love for you to come all four weeks. Yeah, I'd love for you just, like, I don't normally do that, Dan. Just make it a, a point. This, this series, I'm going to come all four weeks. I'd love for you to get out and check out Grace Connect and get involved in one of these circles, right, in one of these little groups. I'd love for you to do this. For every series we do, every series, we provide a little devotional. And so they're back at the back table, they're downstairs in the cafe, and I encourage you on your way out to grab one of those so that you can walk with us in this conversation, not just every Sunday, but Monday through Friday as well, and so that you can kind of tease this out in your own life. And here's the conversation. By the way, it's a conversation Jesus started, so it's kind of important for us to listen to a conversation Jesus started, and the conversation is simply answering this question, what kind of neighbor am I? That's the conversation. The conversation is, what kind of neighbor am I? And I know that matters to you. Here's why I know that matters to you. You're like, it does? It does. Because I know that neighbors matter to you. And here's how I know that. Because when you move, whether into your house, into the apartment you live, whatever it is, one of the things that you check out and are curious about is the neighborhood, right? You know why that's important to you? Because you know something. You just know it. You know it intuitively. You know it experientially. But you know this. Listen, your neighbors season your life. 
your neighbors impact your life. Who your neighbors are matter. We see this played out on TV, right? There's there's this famous neighbors on TV. I mean, who in the world's Lucy without Fred and Ethel, right? Sort of like, Lucy, who's that, right? Raise your hand if you've never seen an episode of Lucy. I just want anybody in the room, all right? Some of you, that's a shame, man. That's too bad, all right? Uh, But who in the world are the Flintstones without Betty and Barney, right? I mean, raise your hand if you've never seen the Flintstones. Anybody? Yeah, I'm aging myself. Who in the world is Tim the Toolman without his neighbor? Say it out loud. Wilson, you've seen the show, right? And who in the world is Seinfeld without Kramer, right? And then last but not least, who are the Simpsons without? You're not sure you're allowed to say that in church, are you? I know, I said that for a service, right? See, here's the deal. Our neighbors influence and season our life. Our neighbors matter to us. Our neighbors somehow impact our existence. I knew this in, in the, the town we came from when we first moved into that neighborhood. This is serious. We moved in to the only home in that town we could afford. It was the only home that was available and low enough cost that Jennifer and I, as a young married couple, could afford to live there. And so the neighborhood didn't matter. It was like it was that or the street, right? And so we bought this home. It was about a little under 900 square feet. We're going to set up shop here, and then we'll check the neighborhood out afterwards, right? It was the first week that we lived there that all of a sudden I began to notice some things about my neighbors, right? I began to notice that the neighbors to our left, as we looked off to our porch, they had a teenage boy. What I didn't know was that that teenage boy was into Satan worship and witchcraft. I didn't know that, right? And the very first week that we lived there, he and all of his buddies decided to have a, a, a parade down our street, kind of worshiping Satan, all dressed up in black and painted faces. I remember my wife and I there with our then Joel, he was the only one we had, we're looking out the window, we're like, what in the world kind of neighborhood did we move into, right? We began thinking, what's going to happen? I remember the neighbor two houses up two houses to our right as you looked off our porch. This guy was something else, man, because we lived in town and he was a deer hunter. Raise your hand if you're a deer hunter in here, right? Yeah, right? And here we lived in town and you would look up at his house and when you look in the front yard, we were in town, remember, you'd see a deer hanging out front in the front yard, right? Can I get an amen on that, right? And like, yeah, right? And I remember, like, I got to find a way. I want to get to know this guy. I mean, he's just kind of rough and tumble and camouflage and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one time I saw him out in his backyard. And, and he's in the backyard, and I'm like, man, it looks like he's looking for something. He's, like, looking around the yard. And so I thought, this is a great chance. I'm going to go up and say, hey, I'll help you. What are you looking for? I don't know. And so I went up and said, hey, my name's Dan. He gave me his name. I said, hey, it looks like you lost something. Can I help you find it? What are you looking for? He said, man, thanks. He said, I did lose something. I said, what'd you lose? He said, I lost my pet boa constrictor. Can you help me find it? Is what he said to me. Like, I'm like, no, you know, really I can't. Like, I'm glad you live here, but no. Yeah, you see, our neighbors, our neighbors season our life, right? They impact our life. They matter in our life. So the question isn't necessarily for this series, what kind of neighbors do you have? The question is, what kind of neighbor are you? The question is, how do you season your neighborhood? How do you season the place where you live or work or maybe go to school? In fact, can I just tell you this? Let me just tell you this. Let me just tell you this. Like, like, like I just bat- bypassed you guys. 
I just went right past you, okay? Because I was curious of the answer to this. So what we did was we went and looked up a lot of your addresses online, and, and, and then we went to your neighborhood, and we asked some of your neighbors. And so we have a video of some of your, some of you are looking, I wish you could see your faces. We didn't do that, I promise. But if I did, what would they say? What would they say? Like, like what would they say about how you neighbor? Like, are, are you that neighbor that's kind of that anonymous neighbor? Like, yeah, I know somebody lives there. I never see them, right? The door goes up and comes down. They go to work, but we never see them. Or, or, or maybe, maybe are you that, that don't poke anybody, don't look at, are you that annoying neighbor? You know what I mean? Like, you're the neighbor. You're the neighbor who lets the dog do whatever it wants to do in the neighbor's yard. You tracking with me? Or maybe, maybe you're ready. Don't look, don't look at anybody. But are you the nosy neighbor? <laughs> you, yeah, somebody, huh? Right? You're, you're like the blinds, you're looking between the blinds, like, I wonder what's going on, right? Right? And something looks like I'm there, right? Or, or are you the house in the neighborhood where all the drama happens? Like, if there's going to be drama and entertainment in the neighborhood, it's usually your house. Or, or, or maybe this Are you the grumpy neighbor? Like, like, everybody knows you're the grumpy one except you, right? Like, they all talk about you. Like, oh, yeah, there's grumpy old Festus, right? And you don't want to walk on that, right? Are you that neighbor? Or, or, or maybe, maybe you're the Joneses, right? You're like, what do you mean by that? You're the neighbor everybody's trying to keep up with, right? Or maybe this is the one that irritates me. Are you the immaculate lawn neighbor? Raise your hand if you got a neighbor like that. Anybody got a neighbor like that? I hate that, right? I live beside two retired guys. I can't keep up with them, man, keeping the lawn, right? You see, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The, the, the question for this series is simply this. What kind of neighbor am I? Now, now I know what some of you are thinking. I can see it in your eyes. You're like, is that? We're going to talk about that for four weeks? We're going to talk about that? Like, like, Dan, isn't there something more important we can talk about? Like, Dan, isn't there a big philosophical issue that we ought to be tackling or maybe a theological thing that we ought to kind of unpack or isn't there a world problem we should solve? Like, like is, is this really the most important thing that, that we should be talking about on a Sunday morning? And I would suggest it is. Not because, ready? Not because I said so. But because in Mark 12, you don't need to turn there, Jesus said something interesting, and I want to show you this. He said, then a teacher of the law, by the way, you're like, what's that mean? He was a teacher of the Old Testament law. Like, he was an expert, knew the Old Testament law, he came and he heard Jesus was debating with some people, and Jesus was a pretty good debater. And noticing that Jesus gave a good answer. So he's like, I like the answer Jesus gave. He asked Jesus a question, and this was the question. There were several hundred Old Testament, Old Testament commands, and he said, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Jesus, now listen, I want you to know this. He goes straight Old Testament on him. He says, I'll tell you what's the most important. And, and, and it would have been familiar to their Jewish ears. He said, this is it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Look here a second. Like they would have heard him say like, yep, he, man, that's it, right? They would have recognized that. Deuteronomy 6, I get it. That's it. He, this guy knew the law. He's like, that's it. Love God with everything that makes you you. That's the most important thing that you and I could possibly do. And if Jesus just stopped there, right? Like, a, yes, that's it. But Jesus didn't stop there. 
But he said, oh, and by the way, the second is this. In the book of Matthew, it says this. The second is just like it. The second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like in, in, in one statement, he says, oh, listen, I want to tell you that it's one thing. He said, I love God. I come, I sing, I raise my hands, I go to church. But he said, listen, the second one is just like it. And that's love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, look at this. Everybody read this out loud together with me, nice and loud. There is no commandment greater than these. Yes or no? It's important that we talk about this here in this place. Yes or no? You better believe it. There's nothing more important for us to talk about. In fact, their conversation went on, and I'm fascinated by it. The guy says to Jesus, well said, teacher. Now, he's talking to Jesus, right? It's kind of funny. He says, you're right in saying that God is one, and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all of your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifice. He's like, this is like some church stuff. What he's saying is this, loving your neighbor is more important than even that? Well, like all this, like sacrifices and these church rituals and things that you do in church, he's like, loving your neighbor is that important. It's like ultra important is what he's saying. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to know is what kind of neighbor I am is one of the, if not most important question that you and I can ask in this place at this time, at any time. You might ask why, and I want you to write this down. The reason why is this, because loving God always results in loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor will reflect that I love God. I'm going to say it again. Loving God results in loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor reflects that I love God. Or Jesus might say it this way. A first commandment, love, will translate into second commandment, living. First commandment, loving, translates into second commandment, living. Jesus says you cannot separate loving God and loving your neighbor. Think about it. It's really interesting that he says that because if I ask a group of people, maybe in this room, raise your hand if you love God. I'm not asking you that. Most of you might be like, I love God. Most of you are like, yeah, I love God, right? But, but the truth is, the, the little secret is this, like how do you really know? And how would I know you love God? Like, yeah, I must love God. Comes to church. And in one statement, in one, this is the uncomfortable part. In one statement, Jesus says, let's put some skin on this. He says, it's not just about, I love God, this vertical, yeah, go God, I'm all about God. He says, but if I love God, loving God is going to result horizontal into loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor is somehow going to reflect a love for God. Seems pretty important, which is why you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 10. Because in Luke chapter 10 is one of the most well-known stories in all the Bible. People who don't even read the Bible know about this story. It's the story of the good. You've heard that story. And people who don't even read the Bible have heard about the Good Samaritan. We name hospitals and programs and, and laws after the Good Samaritan. And in this story, Jesus does something fascinating that I simply want to dip our toe into this morning. 
in Luke chapter 10. Here's how the story starts. On one occasion, not the same occasion, by the way. So not the same occasion we just talked about. On a different occasion, an expert in the law. This dude knows the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. He stood up. We get his motive to test Jesus. By the way, if you read about Jesus, this was not uncommon. The, the reason these guys wanted to test Jesus was he kind of ticked some of them off, right? Like he's getting under their skin. And so this guy wants to test Jesus. And he has a kind of different question, albeit an important question. It's like a question we want to know the answer to, right? He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, like how can I be sure I'm going to inherit eternal life? How can I be sure that I'm going to live in heaven, right? Look at Jesus' response. He looks at him and doesn't give him an answer. By the way, if you read the story of Jesus, more times than not, he answers questions with a question. I love that. He answers questions with a question. He says, well, you know, you're the expert in the law. What's written in the law? He's like, how do you read it? The guy responds, and this is what he says. He says, well, the law says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind. It's like, that should sound familiar to us. We just read it, right? The guy's like, I know what the Old Testament says. He went straight Old Testament, right? He's like, this is the, what they call the Shema. You can forget that. It's like, this is a big deal. Love God with everything that makes you you. But the guy doesn't stop there. This is interesting to me. He adds this. He says, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, it's not just love God, he said, but it's about somehow loving your neighbor. Now, I've read a bunch of people on this, whether the dude heard Jesus and this was his standard answer, and he says, I know Jesus' answer is this, or whatever it might be. He gives Jesus the answer Jesus gave the other guy. He's like, the most important thing in how I inherit eternal life is to love God and love my neighbor. Look at Jesus' response. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Everybody look here a second. I'm going to tell you something. You need to come week four because that statement is loaded. In week four, I want to tell you why. Jesus looks at the guy and he's like, yep, love God, love your neighbor. Do that and you're going to live. You got eternal life. And then you can almost see Jesus turn like he's going to walk away, right? He's going to walk away and the guy isn't done. But look at what it says. But he wanted to say that word out loud, justify. You know what that means? He wanted to make sure that he met the bare minimum requirement. He wanted to make sure that he looked good, that he passed the test. Which, by the way, this is a different sermon. If my goal is to meet the bare minimum requirement, I probably got the wrong goal. He's like, I want to make sure I'm okay. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Are you one of those people? Like, I want to make sure that... I got all my T's crossed, my I's dotted. And so because I want to justify myself, make sure I'm in the right, make sure I'm okay, I have a question, Jesus. Exactly who is my neighbor? Good question. Like if, if loving my neighbor is the key, I want to know who exactly is my neighbor. And now Jesus doesn't answer the question with a question. He answers the question with a story, and it's fascinating. Jesus tells a story, and it goes like this. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everybody look here a second. He's talking about a real road, a real place. This would have been like me saying to you, there was a guy driving on the Kenmore leg. 
right? There was a guy driving down Eastern Road. There was a guy riding on Route 76. Everybody listening to Jesus would be like, oh yeah, we know that, all oh, that road, that 18 mile road that went downhill the whole way from Jerusalem to Jericho, that road that was dangerous, that road mama told me never go alone, that road we should never drive at night, that road where robbers and thieves hung out because it was dangerous, I always wanna go in a caravan, that road, yeah, that road road is the road he's talking about. And he says, that man's going down that road and he was attacked by robbers. Go figure, he must have been alone, right? Go figure, that's what happens on that road. They stripped him of his clothes. All of a sudden, the guy is naked. And then they beat him. And then they went away, leaving him half dead. The guy's in deep weeds. The guy's in a ditch along that road, the road that you don't want to go alone road. They attacked him, took his clothes. He's naked, he's beaten up, and he's left half dead on that road. And the plot thickens. Because Jesus never does anything haphazardly, even tell a story. And the very next character in the story, he picks intentionally. Because he says, A, say that word out loud. Priest. You're like a priest. What's a priest? Well, think preacher. Think religious leader. A priest would have been somebody who had high regard religiously. Spiritual leader in the community would have been on a high rung of the socioeconomic ladder, well-respected leader. A priest happened to be going down the same road. You know what that tells me? He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He probably got done with his two weeks of serving in the temple. This priest just got done doing some really religious stuff. Like he just got done doing God's work in the temple. And he was going down that road when he, what? Saw the man. What man? What man did he see? The naked, half-beaten-up, left-for-dead man. He, like, sees that man along the road, and look what it says. That religious leader, that well-respected man, that guy who just got done going to church, doing all of God's business, he passed by on the other side. Then Jesus introduces another character. He says, so to a Levite, and you're like, we don't have Levites. What's a Levite? Think JV priest. Think intern. Think somebody learning to be a pastor. Somebody who like, I'm following in the footsteps of the priest. I'm watching what the priest does. I'm seeing how he does it. I want to do this the best I can. He came to the same place and saw him. Who's him? Oh, naked, beaten up, half dead him. And it says he passed by on the other side. Everybody look here a second. The very first thing that you notice is in the story, Jesus is talking and he's answering a question, who's my neighbor? And the people you think should be the heroes of the story, all of a sudden do exactly opposite of what you think they should be doing. They ignore an opportunity to help a man who's obviously in some deep, deep, deep need. Now listen, listen. What Jesus does next, everybody look here, does not have the punch in this room that it would have in the room he first spoke it. Because when, when Jesus says what he says next in the room that he would have spoken this, it would have been like, <gasps> literally. <clears throat> because look at what he says next. But uh, say that word out loud. And you're like, what's the big deal? <clears throat> and the big deal is this. 
the people listening to him, the expert in the law, imagine he's standing, everybody's sitting, Jesus and the expert of law having this conversation. He's getting a story, and Jesus said the next character after the priest, after the Levite, is a Samaritan. He might as well have said a terrorist. He might as well have said the worst person you can think of. He might as well have said the, the person you dislike more than anybody. For you Ohio State fans, he might as well have said a Michigan fan, right? I mean, he, he went south quick. And he said, but a Samaritan, because the Jews absolutely despised the Samaritans. You're like, why? Well, the Samaritans decided to intermarry with everybody who were their captors. And so the Jews called them, ready, half-breeds. Some of the Jews would actually pray, God, whatever you do, forgive us, but don't forgive them. They're not worthy of it. And so when he introduces this person in the story, you can almost hear a collective sigh. Like, no, he's not going to do that. No, the Samaritan, that half-breed, no, they're not going to be the hero of the story, are they? And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, three guys saw the man, what man? The man who's naked, beaten up, left for dead. That man, he actually took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper. He says, I'm not done. I'm not like going to take care and run. He says, I want you to look after him. And when I return, week three, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Like the Samaritan does what you would have expected the priest and the Levite to do. Like, 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 like the Samaritan reaches out and helps a man who maybe, probably was a different race, maybe, probably was a different religion, maybe, probably had nothing in common with him. The Samaritan decided to do on that road that was dangerous what the others chose not to do for whatever reasons. And then Jesus, you ready, ready, ready? Jesus does something that is unbelievable in the story. In fact, some people have read this story, know this story, and never caught what Jesus did. Because Jesus looks at the people listening, namely the expert in the law, and he says, which of these Three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Look here a second. Like, like some of you, it hasn't hit you yet. Maybe you've not read it. What was the question the man asked? What was the question the man asked? He said, who is my neighbor? And what did Jesus do? Jesus flipped the script. Jesus said, wrong question. Like, wrong question. The right question is, who is actually neighboring? Jesus took the word neighbor, and he transferred it from simply being a noun to being a verb. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you a story, and the story isn't, who is your neighbor? How do you meet the bare minimum requirement? But the question is, am I neighboring the people who are in the pathway of my life? That's the question. I love the response. The expert in the law replied, he couldn't even get out Samaritan. Did you notice that? He couldn't say, Samaritan, he couldn't even say it. He said, ah, the one who had mercy on him. 
And Jesus looks at him and says, go and do likewise. It's fascinating, guys. Because Jesus leaves no question that the point of the story isn't to figure out who am I responsible to neighbor, but the question is, am I neighboring the people in my life? I want you to write it this way. Jesus very quickly does this. He very quickly lets us know that neighbor's not what I am, but it's what I do. Neighbor isn't just simply what I am. I'm a neighbor because I live at this address, but neighbor is what I do. I'm not a neighbor because I live in a certain spot, but I neighbor. It's a verb. I'm not a neighbor, but because of God's love for me, I neighbor those around me. Now, we just got to put some teeth on it, and then we're done. We got to put some teeth on it. You got to go here with me. Some of you grew up in church, you've heard this story, and here's what you know. You already know this. You already know this, okay? You know that your neighbor is anybody you come into contact with, right? Some of you grew up hearing that. Neighbor is anybody, right? This guy, anybody. So you already know that. And and, and you grew up hearing that. Love everybody, right? Because your neighbor is whoever. And what has happened is this, and that would be right, But what has happened is this. We think about this concept so generally that we never get specific. We think about loving our neighbor so broadly that it's benign. We think about it and like, I just got to love everybody. So we try to hit everything and we don't hit anything. And here's what I want to do next four weeks, okay? And then, then we're done, next four weeks. What I want you to do is if Jesus said, man, this is important. Like, I don't think there's anything more important y'all can be talking about. Then I want us simply to ask the question, well, then what does it mean next four weeks for me to actually neighbor my actual neighbors? Like, like, like I want us to think about what would it mean for me to neighbor? I know I got to love everybody. That's awesome. Great. But what would it mean for me if I begin neighboring the people who actually did live right next door to me? Or or, or maybe you can apply this. What would it mean if I began neighboring the people who worked in the cubicles around me, at the workstations around me, on the line around me? Or maybe you're a student, and maybe the question is, what would it mean for me to begin neighboring the way Jesus says to neighbor those kids who sit around me in school? You see, here's the deal. Jesus said, like, this is really, really important because if I love God, it results in loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor somehow reflects that I love God. And so how in the world do we do that? Well, I simply want to dip our toe in this morning. That's all we're going to do. But I want to give you, okay, three, three really tangible, practical things. I want you to write them down, and they come in the way of questions. Three questions. I want everybody, it's an all-play moment. Now listen, before I go here, for some of you, for some of you, you probably could guess the questions I'm going to ask. The goal is not new information, but it is obedient transformation. That's the goal. And when I look at the Samaritan, there's three things he does initially that I think are takeaways from what does it mean for me to begin loving my neighbor as myself. First is this. It says that he saw him. Like they all saw him, right? But it makes me think of a question, and the question is simply this. Do I see my neighbors? You're like, Dan, that seems pretty vague. Here's the fact of the matter is the truth is we can live somewhere and not see the people who live in our neighborhood. Stay with me. 
we see occupants who live at addresses. And sometimes we miss that there are people who are living in houses. And the point is simply this, that if I'm going to love my neighbor, then maybe the place for me to begin is simply to see the neighbors that I actually live around. Or maybe it's to see the people who actually do work around me. So I gave you an exercise. This is an all-play moment, right? On your outlines, there's a little grid. And the grid is simple. We did this five years ago. So for those of you who are new, but five years ago, okay? And, And my challenge to you is simply this, that in that center grid, if you would place your name, like that's your house, the challenge is simply this. Can I go around those eight squares that surround my house, and do I know the neighbors that live around me? Do I know their first name? Do I know their last name? Here's the deal. If Jesus said, love your neighbor, seems like a good place to start might be to know them and might be to know their name. You see, I will tell you, you're like, oh, some of you, I can see it in your eyes. You're like, you're like, oh, I don't know my neighbors, right? You see, my challenge to you is this. I want you simply to write in the first and last names of your neighbors that live around you. You're like, oh, Dan, I can't. Everybody look here. Everybody look here. Ready? Neither can I. Like, like if you think I'm, I'm like, oh, Dan, you're pouring it on. Like, nah. Like, neither can I. Like, like, there's some people on my grid I know really, really well. Like, I've worked really, really hard at. The guy who mows behind me, our yards butt up together back by the tree line. We pad, like, woo, we wave. You said, Dan, what's his name? I don't know, guy on lawnmower. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I honestly don't know. And, and as I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm like, you know, like, like, Dan, do you see guy on lawnmower or do you see a real person who lives behind you. You see, studies have shown this, that only 10% of the people who do this little exercise can actually fill in all the boxes. Only 10%. So I want you to begin by saying, do I see my neighbors? I want you to do this maybe not just for your neighborhood you live in, maybe do it for your workspace. For your workspace. Maybe it's the, the cubicle you sit in. Maybe it's the workstation you work at. I don't know. You fill it in. Maybe it's the, the desk you sit in at school. But do I see my neighbors? But there's a second thing, and this is important, that happened. It says he took pity on him. Why did he take pity on him? I want you to get this. That word is like this empathy, this, this compassion. He had pity on him. Why? Listen, because he saw a real person in a real situation. Here's the deal. The reason I don't sometimes feel anything for my neighbors is I don't know their story. The question is this, do I know my neighbor's story? Do I know my neighbor's story? You see, here's what I can tell you, that there are certain things that I can observe about my neighbors. You you can as well. Okay, stay with me on this. My neighbors drive a red car. He works first shift because he comes home at this time and leaves at this time. But when, when I think about my neighbors, I wrote it down this way. It's in my notes. I want to say it just like I wrote it down. When I'm left simply to observation, listen close, I'm going to make evaluation that's based on limited information. And I might misevaluate my neighbors. You see, the truth of the matter is the thing that frustrates you about your neighbors might have roots in something that if you knew it might cause you to have compassion for them. 
Can I say it this way? Some of you are church people, like you've been going to church a long time. I hear church people talk about neighbors this way. You would never do this, but I've heard it happens, okay? Yeah, my neighbors don't go to church. Oh, man, they're not, they don't go to church. They're those kind of neighbors. And the truth is, if you knew their story, you might understand why they didn't go to church. I'm not saying it's good that they don't. I'm just saying you might understand why. Why? Because, because every, write this down somewhere, behind every door, there's a story. Behind every door, there's a story. Your neighbors, your literal neighbors, the people who live beside, you're like, Dan, you don't know my neighbors. I realize that. But there is a story behind every door. And Jesus said there's nothing more important for us to talk about than to love our neighbors. Five years ago when we, we did this, and I'm, I'm struck by the, the story, so struck by it, it came to my mind, but it was a story about a, a house in a neighborhood. Maybe you have a house like this. Everything's grown up. You know, the roof needs repaired. Uh, weeds everywhere. There's an old broken down car out front. And, and one of the neighbors did what a good responsible neighbor does, right? They called code enforcement. They're like, man, there's an eyesore in the neighborhood. And come out, and then code enforcement came out, and they, they tagged the home. They're like, man, you, you got to clean things up, and you got to get this out of your yard. And, you know, we got to, man, they came out, and they began to enforce the code. And then it was after that 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 neighbor who called found out that the person who lived in that home was a single mom who was taking care of her dying mother. And all of a sudden, he's like, the thing that irritated me all of a sudden became an opportunity to neighbor. See how that works? Which leads to the last question, then we're done. Last question, then we're done. It says he went to him. And it makes me ask this question, how am I moving toward my neighbors? What would it mean for me to take a step towards my neighbors? What is a step I could, you're like, well, Dan, could we talk? No, listen, Jesus said there's nothing more important for us to talk about. Like, I can't, there's nothing well, there's big problems to solve. And he said, there's nothing more important than loving my neighbors. And I got to think somehow that applies to the people that live right beside me. Like somehow, but Dan, and what would it mean for me to take the next step in moving towards them? You know why? Because he says, loving God results in loving your neighbor. You see, it's interesting to me how Jesus finished the story. And then we're done. But let this, let this percolate. He said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, listen, that's, that's what's actually in your Bible, right? And I think everybody, including this dude standing here asking the question, I think everybody would have heard what Jesus was actually saying. Because what they actually would have heard was this. Which of these three do you think Love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their mind, by loving their neighbor as themselves. May I ask you a question? Do you love God? Do you love God? Jesus would say this, loving God results in loving your neighbor. And loving your neighbor reflects that you love God. And he said, it results in loving your neighbor as yourself. I don't know any of us in this room that doesn't like it when somebody knows our name. I don't know any of us that wouldn't love for somebody to truly understand our story. 
and make a move towards us in our time of need. Here's my challenge to you, and then I'm going to pray. Done. My challenge to you is simply this. My challenge is if you can't fill out that grid, why not make that your step? Some of you can. Like you're like, I can fill that grid out. Here's my challenge to you. Why not you begin praying by name for your neighbors? Some of you are like, I've been praying for my neighbor. Here's my challenge for you. My challenge for you is, is simply this. What would it mean for you to begin to get to know their story? How can you begin to go beyond like, hey, Mike, hey, Joe. Maybe it's invite them for a meal. Maybe it's like, hey, tell me about open-ended question. Hey, when did you guys? Open-ended question. What is it that you enjoy? Open-ended question. And begin to hear their story. Why? Listen, not some preacher, not guilt trip. Man, I am, I got skin in the game. I'm on the hook. I'm on the hook, guys. If this doesn't apply to any of you, it applies to this dude. Why? Because you know what? Jesus said, there's really nothing more important we can talk about. Like, there's nothing more important than we can talk about. And as we're going to find out, I don't think there's anything more impacting that we could ever do. And so, God, as we think about what it means to love you and as we think about what it means to allow that love to result in loving our neighbor, I pray as we sing this last song together that, God, you would help us to kind of lean in to what it means to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in a way that it would leak out that it would leak out and, and that somehow the fact that we live on that street, in that apartment complex, in that trailer park, in that wherever it is, like, like it would season the people around us. So God, I pray that this week help us to take a step, a step, get to know their names, maybe begin to get to know one of their stories. Maybe it's begin to pray for them by name. Maybe it's begin to just reach out and take a step and say, hey, I've never had the chance to meet you. Here's a plate of cookies, whatever it might be. But God, help us, help us, particularly those of us who've heard this story over and over and over again. Help us not to walk away with information that doesn't somehow lead to transformation. God, I pray as a result, I pray as a result that you would allow for our love for you to impact and season where it is that we presently are going to scatter towards right now.